0: Life is full of uncertainty, obstacles, and anguish. Some days, it seems like we are merely surviving. But wouldn't you rather live life? A life full of hope, peace, and joy? Come alongside me as I share my experiences of failure, sorrow, and shame. Yet, coming alive, I've encountered God's grace, mercy, and redeeming love. It's your time to stop just surviving and take root, grow, thrive, and come alive. Hey everybody, welcome back. Last week we talked about how trials transform our testimonies. I shared parts of my personal testimony that was broken out into three different seasons of my life using a fun car analogy. So if you missed it, hop on over to the show notes and get caught up. We also broke down in the food for thought segment Revelation 12 10 and 11 the importance of our testimonies and I'm going to share a little bit too in the newsletter itself a little bit more on that so take a peek but today we are going to begin to understand God's side of our trials we'll dig into how his discipline enhances our development but first let's pray Heavenly Father we just lift this time up to you Lord you have always 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 provided opportunities to get to know you better to uh, grow our relationship with you, Lord. And I just thank you that you've given us the beauty of our own testimonies, Lord, that can intertwine and weave through the big and perfect story that you are working on, Lord, that you've already have an end in mind set in motion. I just thank you that you've chosen us to be a part of that. And I just pray for um, this segment, Lord, that we can see who you truly are, Lord. Sometimes we envision you in a way that is not accurate. And I just pray, God, that we can accurately see who you are and instill that truth and your goodness in our own lives. So I just pray, Lord, that um, any distractions be taken away right now. And I just pray, Lord, that the Spirit just be here speaking truth into all the ears that are listening and the hearts that are here. Your name, amen. I think it's really important that I put a disclaimer here before we get started because we will never fully understand God, nor know the details of everything that we endure this side of heaven. But we have been given glimpses to his everlasting promise. Ephesians 1, 8-10 tells us, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put in effect when the time reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. An important part of understanding God's side of our trials is to first know God. I think too often when we face trials, we get so consumed by the trial itself that our perspective is solely on ourselves or the problem at hand, not on God. Much like being in a season where you don't know Jesus personally, your response will be totally different than if you did. I mean, you may view God as this angry and mean and spiteful God instead of the gentle, loving, compassionate father that he really is. Understanding God's side of our trials requires discipline. Hoofta, that word, discipline. I looked it up because my envision and my view of what the word means was not accurate growing up, so I'm glad I looked it up. And what I found is it is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior, using punishment to correct disobedience. Okay, let me um, break that one apart quick. When I was younger, I thought discipline was the straight-up punishment. I thought, well, if there's discipline, there is punishment. There is the spoon that was at the top of the fridge. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else there with me? Okay. Well, this tells us that's not what it is. Discipline is actually the practice of training to become obedient and that punishment itself that only comes into play into play when we are disobedient okay i want you guys to think about that because i'm going to read a few passages that reveal the true meaning of discipline and how god shows us that discipline for our good okay if you have your bibles go ahead and open up to hebrews because that's where these passages are found so we'll be in hebrews um We're going to start with 12, but then we'll jump over to uh, chapter 10 too. But Hebrews 12, 5 through 7 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as a child. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Now, Hebrews 12, 10 and 11. you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourself had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. One of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible has taken a whole new hold over my heart in this last year um, I've been working through some really hard things in my life, and this story of Joseph just really gave me a new perspective of trials that we face, as well as knowing who God is amidst those trials. So I want to break down this story of Joseph because it's one I feel like I've read many times this last year, talked about many times, and I just think um, sometimes we can get really comfortable with a story that we don't see some of the importance that is in that story. Um, I know I feel like a lot of times that happens with the Christmas story. It just becomes a story that we know instead of truly understand and embrace the beauty and importance of what it is. So let's dive in. Okay, if you're wanting to follow along with me in the Bible, just skimming over what I'm going to be talking about, I will be going through Genesis chapters 37 through the end of book. So go ahead, and grab your Bibles if you'd like. And um, just starting in chapter 37. Um, we get to know who Joseph is. Well, Joseph is one of 12 boys. Okay, let's just take one second here. Uh, 12 boys. Yikes. I come from a family of six girls. And uh, people always say, Oh, your poor dad, you know, um, I'm not sure what Yeah, I don't know how to take that, but um, I always just say, oh, he did fine. Uh, But, you know, being six girls, that's even half of what the boys are. But girls have their own challenges and their own thing that the boys do. But let me tell you this. Coming from six girls, I always thought, I just want to have all boys. You know, I, I just think that'd be great. Well, God gave me one boy, smiled a little bit and said, I think this is all you can handle. And I have two girls now. So uh, he has a sense of humor for sure. But boys are just different. Boys have this side of them I don't understand. Like I don't understand at all. Um, Like my son and my nephew, um, they're about nine months apart. And those two, they are so fun to watch. But also it's just like quit touching each other. They just have to be wrestling or fighting or something. Um, But I love it because they never get mad at each other. But for Joseph and his brothers, this was not the case at all. I mean, there was 12 of them. Okay, that's insane. I can barely handle one of them, so I can't imagine. But that's not really what caused the issue here. There's a lot of backstory here. But to kind of give you a little bit, um, you have Jacob, one father. But then there was four mothers. You have Leah. And Rachel who he married and then he had um, both of their servants who he had children with as well adding up to the 12 tribes of Israel there is a breakout on the screen if you can see that and just to get a better picture of what we're talking about here um, but a little bit of backstory on why Joseph was the favorite well Jacob met Rachel fell in love with her and wanted to marry her and so he worked seven years to get her hand in marriage well her dad was kind of a stinker on the wedding night he gave jacob leah instead of rachel jacob was not super thrilled with this and he said rachel's who i asked for i will work seven more years to get her hand in marriage and so he did so after 14 years he's got these two wives and the one who he loves more but he's got this other one who is actually producing children for him. Rachel was barren. She was unable to have kids. So when God finally allowed her to conceive and have a baby, she had a son and named him Joseph, which therefore is why he was one of Jacob's absolute favorites. So being one of the favorites, he had a lot of things just kind of go in his favor. Uh, Jacob got him this very special coat. A lot of the children's Bibles call it the coat of many colors. Um, But it was just very vibrant, very special, very unique. Um, Definitely a symbol showing his love and favoritism towards Joseph. Well, anyways, on top of that, Joseph was having these dreams. Uh, He was not very old and he was having these dreams of, his brothers bowing down to him and his family bowing down to him. And he would tell his brother, his brothers this, and they were like, dude, you are on thin ice. What are you doing? But he just shared it how it was. And, you know, maybe there was some sense of self entitlement because he was the favorite. Um, But it also did not help him that when his dad would have him go out and check on his brothers to see how they're doing, he would come back and give them uh, not a very good report. And even though if it was true, it wasn't very good. So his brothers just hated him even more. And so they devise a plan to um, kill him. Actually, they decide to do that. But instead, one of the brothers steps up and say, well, let's let's not get too crazy. So instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery to the Ishmaelites. Before we go on, I want to stop here and talk about this. So the Ishmaelites play a bigger role than we may think. So back when Abraham, you know, Abraham, Isaac, all of the, all of those connections. Well, what sometimes we don't remember is Abraham had a son before Isaac. Abraham had a son with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, and his name was Ishmael. And even though he was kicked out of their camp, their family area because of, um, Sarah's jealousy of the whole situation, God promised to protect and provide for Ishmael. And so I love the irony in this and that um, through the offspring of Isaac, Abraham's son, Joseph is coming into play here. But what is going to happen here? He is being sold into slavery by his brothers to the Ishmaelites. So Isaac's descendants are now being Enslaved by his brother Ishmael. I don't know, that just blows my mind. Just God bringing together and connecting and weaving all that is this beautiful story. But anyway, sorry, got off on a little tangent there. But so through this, uh, Joseph is sold into slavery. Um, he goes through these ups and downs. I'm not going to get into all the details of this story, but please, please, please. Go read it and don't just skim over it. Like read it, pinpoint, find words that pop out, Um, find consistencies of God being faithful in this story. But um, a lot of what I love to see and underline throughout this story is Joseph found favor in God's eyes. Okay. Do we remember when Joseph was having those dreams long ago and telling his brothers about bowing down to him and all this, right? We remember that and everybody got super mad about it. Well, we're getting closer to seeing the fulfillment of some of those, those dreams. It had been two full years of Joseph being in prison when the Pharaoh had this dream, one that left him completely distraught. He had no idea the meaning, but he was very concerned by this dream. So he asked so many people for an interpretation of this dream. What does it mean? And nobody could give him a reason or meaning for this dream. It wasn't until the cupbearer remembered Joseph in prison and, um, His interpretation of their dreams actually uh, revealed to be fulfilled. And so he goes to the Pharaoh and says, I know someone who can interpret this dream. So Joseph comes and interprets the dream for him. Joseph tells the Pharaoh that the dreams that he had are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is going to do. He talked about the seven good cows are seven good years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one of the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are the seven years, um, and the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind, they are the seven years of famine. After Pharaoh had these dreams interpreted, Joseph found favor in Pharaoh's eyes. I mean, everything just turned around for him. Not only was he let out of prison, but he became Pharaoh's number one man. He was in charge of leading Egypt. I mean, the only position above him was Pharaoh himself. And I want you guys to know, at this point, Joseph was 30 years old. 30 years old. That's amazing. After the seven years of abundance in the land, uh, many people started realizing that Egypt was the only place that was prepared for what had happened. And so people began to come there for food and for survival. Some of the people that came were Joseph's family, his brothers. And the first encounter that Joseph's brothers had with him, they bowed down to him. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's think about this. Years before, Joseph had these dreams about this exact moment happening and people laughed at him and hated him because of these dreams. Yet, look where God has brought him. Okay? Okay, so in this moment too, Joseph recognizes his brothers, but his brothers do not recognize him. Now, I can't imagine what Joseph is feeling in these moments of recognizing his brothers with everything that had happened with all that he endured those last 15 some years, my goodness, what would you be feeling? But so this back and forth between him and his brothers, um, he doesn't make it easy for them to uh, obtain food and all of that. And you know, there was one brother who was missing when the brothers came to Egypt, and it was Joseph's youngest brother, Benjamin. So Benjamin was the only other son that Rachel had, and she actually died in childbirth with having Benjamin. So when Jacob lost Joseph, the only child that he had left from the woman that he dearly loved was Benjamin. So he was not going to let anything happen to this little boy. And so over the years, the older brothers... You know, I think the guilt and shame of everything that they did to Joseph definitely um, hit home. And so they were protecting Benjamin. But the encounter, you'll just have to go read it for yourselves. Um, The encounter that his brothers have with him, uh, he gets brought up about, well, I thought you said, you know, there was 12 brothers. So he's kind of getting this information out of them and realizes that Benjamin was left at home. And so he makes it so Benjamin has to come to Egypt in order for them to get food. So there's a lot of this back and forth, but finally the brothers are all reunited. Chapter 45, verse one, it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. So Joseph begins telling his brothers of all these things and how, guess what? He still loves them. He forgives them. And he says here in verse five, it says, "Um, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Oh my word. Wow. Okay. And then jumping to verse seven, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. But God has healed the brokenness that was between Joseph and his family. He brought them back together and redeemed that relationship. So beautiful. But, guys, there's sometimes where the enemy likes to take our past, the things that we held on to, the things that we feel stuck with sometimes, and he likes to bring them back up to us. And after Jacob died, Joseph's brothers really started thinking, oh my goodness, Joseph's going to reconsider forgiving us like he did, you know, years ago. I believe it was close to 17 years um, after the brothers reunited that Jacob passed away. And so these brothers were really paranoid. They're like, he's going to change your mind. It's going to be bad, all these things. Because at this point, Joseph's whole family had moved to Egypt and had all the glorious luxuries that Joseph had. But even in their doubt, Joseph reminds them, and this is such a beautiful passage, one of my absolute favorites. I'm going to read um, Genesis 50:19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I heard a message by John Bevere and he talked about the story of Joseph. Such a great message, a beautiful breakdown and he titled it. This is why you feel stuck. I will have the link in the footnotes um, so you guys can go take a peek at that too. But um, he opened with a little excerpt about what he was going to talk about and the beautiful part of it is he talked about Joseph and how he was not being punished for things but he was being prepared for things. And we see that totally revealed in this story. And I, my hope and my prayer is that you see that revealed in your story, those testimonies that God is is wielding and creating into something beautiful. Those times that are hard, those times where there's pain and hardship, you're not being punished for things. I mean, maybe there's consequences for things you've done, but you're not being punished. God is wanting to take those opportunities and those times to prepare you, to prepare your heart for more, for what is being done. Because let's look at this story of Joseph. Look at where God brought him. Look at what he took him through, but where he delivered him and what he was able to accomplish, the saving of many lives. God did that. Even though there's evil in this world, but God, God intended it for good. He can take any bad in this life and he can turn it for His glory. He can make it so beautiful. I'm sure you've heard that. God wants to take our mess and turn it into His message. Well, guys, that's up to us. That is up to us. Are we willing to give those messy pieces of our lives to God? Are we willing to be disciplined by the Heavenly Father? Yeah, it may be painful, like in Hebrews. It talked about painful now, but later, oh, it will be so beautiful and so worth it. So, If I leave you with anything at all today, I pray if you have an attitude towards God saying, but God, why are we going through this? That instead you can step back, take a deep breath, change your perspective to a, but God, he did that. He is intending this for good. So I pray, I pray right now that you have that attitude Of changing that perspective of not viewing the trial itself, but viewing the God who can turn that trial for his good. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, Yes, I want that. I want to see God through all that I'm enduring, but I don't know how to get there. Well, first off, I want to tell you that you're not alone. And I want to tell you that you have a great opportunity to get to that point to understand. Another step into that direction is by joining me next time because we will be talking about discovering our purpose in His plan. We will explore the beauty of establishing faith in an unfair fight. And I'm going to tell you the story we're talking about is going to be amazing. So please join me next time. But until then, thanks for joining me.